Well, good morning, community of faith. How you doing this morning? Doing well? Good. Glad to hear it. I'm getting over all my jet lag, so I'm feeling better. If I fall asleep in the middle of the sermon, just punch me, all right? But I tell you what, I'm excited about what God has for us today because one of the things that's going to change your life is what we're talking about today. We're looking at the book of Daniel. We're talking about how he lived an unshakable life through incredible circumstances, incredible change at the time that he lived. Remember, he was taken at 15 years old as a prisoner of war to a foreign country. His city, Jerusalem, was leveled to the ground by this evil empire and he's taken as a a slave and God works in his life and we see these amazing things we've been watching all of these amazing things happen in fact he's been getting promoted and promoted and promoted he's in in the chapter we're looking at today chapter six he's already gone through three kings three different emperors two different empires and he survived all of that and kept getting promoted. Last week you heard about how he was with uh, Belteshazzar. And, and Belshazzar was uh, the king. And these writings on the wall. He saw Daniel interpreted. And he said you're going to be third in charge of my whole empire. That was a very short lived promotion. Because that very night the Medes and the Persians attacked the city. Snuck in through kind of like the, the underground tunnels that were kind of like the sewage tunnels or whatever, came into the city and killed Belshazzar, took over, and it became a, a new dynasty. And they got rid of almost everybody else, but not Daniel. They still had Daniel. That's what we're going to look at. Daniel isn't 15 anymore. He's 82 when we start this chapter. We've seen all, this is the eighth test of Daniel at 82 years old and as I look at that before I get into what I really want to talk about today I I was just thinking how was it that he was promoted and promoted and promoted who doesn't want to be promoted in life who doesn't want to be promoted at work in Daniel chapter 6 in the first three verses it gives us three reasons why Daniel kept getting promoted from the time he's a teenager until now 82 years old And he still hasn't done his best work. His best work comes at 85. At 85 is when God does the biggest miracles. Not only does he change things in the hearts of the king so that the the people of Israel can go back to Jerusalem because they've been there the 70 years. We're going to see next week how God answers prayer and the prayer of Daniel and all that's involved in prayer. And it's going to, it'll blow your mind because it's going to teach you what's happening when you pray and how to do it so you see a miracle happen. But that's at 85 that he does that. And God gives him prophecies of how the world is going to end there in, in his older age. And, and so we, we see him doing all of these things. How does he keep getting promoted? What is it about this guy? One of the things I think we see is just competence. We see that he has competence his professional competence made him stand out I mean he was a gifted leader but he was also a learner and he continued to learn and all great leaders are learners but he he studied the culture he studied the king he studied what needed to be done he was a student of God's word and of of people and of history 
and of culture. Let me just read you Daniel 6, 1 through 3. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, you can. I'll put it up on the screen for you. It pleased Darius. Darius is the new king that's come in. He and Cyrus are the kings of the Medes and the Persians. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So he saw these things in him. He saw what an amazing, competent leader he was. But there was another thing that separated him, character. His personal character made him stand out. We can see that because uh, of his enemies. He had some enemies at work. And did you know that if you stand up for God and you have character and you have integrity, there's always a chance that you're going to have some enemies at work. And, and it's not because you're mean to them. It's not because, now I'm not talking about people who, you know, are, are, are just horrible to get along with. I've known people, they say, well, I'm a Christian, and then they do shoddy work, and they do, well, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you as a believer being really competent, really having character, really having integrity, standing out. That still doesn't mean that people aren't going to be against you, that they're not going to like you. In fact, we're going to see that more and more in our society today. I think we need to prepare ourselves that Christians are going to be kind of ostracized at a certain point. We're starting to, to, to feel it already. But look at verse 4. In Daniel 6, 4, it says this. When they found out that he was going to put Daniel over all of the kingdom, at this, the other administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. No wonder he keeps getting promoted. Wouldn't you want to hire a guy like that? I would want to hire a guy like that. We don't know why exactly. Maybe it's because he's Jewish. Maybe uh, it's because he's a, a foreigner and he started out as a slave. But these other guys, they didn't want him to be the ruler. So they go looking for dirt for a scandal. But they can't find anything. Can you imagine if that was true of, of our politicians today? You know, you try to look for dirt. You try to find But there's nothing there at all. You can't find anything. And it, it's, just, it's just what we need in our society today, isn't it? And then, last thing, his commitment. His public commitment to God made him stand out. Daniel's very open. He says, I walk with God. I serve the living God he prays in the open remember he's led King Nebuchadnezzar to faith in the one true God and verse 5 finally these men said we'll never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it's something to do with the law of his God and so they set a trap now this becomes the familiar passage that we if you've been in church and even if you haven't been in church as a child um, know as Daniel in the lion's den and we began to look at that but I want us to kind of see it from, from a different perspective so these satraps these leaders concoct a, a Daniel trap and here's what they do verse 6 so these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said may King Darius live forever 
the royal administrators, the prefects, the satraps, the advisors, and the governors, we've all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So they come and they appeal to his ego, which, you know, I imagine if you're king, well, we just got back from Morocco, and I was asking our guide about the king of Morocco. I said, does he still have, like, all authority? Like, he, can he just say, hey, this guy, put this guy to death, or do this and do that. And they, she said, oh, yeah, he can do anything he wants to. I would imagine at some point that kind of goes to your head, you know. At some point you start to feel like maybe you are a god on this earth. And so they appeal to this ego and they say, no one should pray to anyone but you. And we want you to do it according to your laws because these were the Medes and the Persians that had taken over. This is the new dynasty, the new empire. They had conquered Babylon, crushed it in a night, in just one night. And taken over. And so the law of the Medes and the Persians is famous down through history. Because what it was, it was a law that the king would make. And when he signed the edict by the law of the Medes and Persians. It couldn't be revoked even by himself. It couldn't be revoked. It was law for as long as it was to stand. This was to stand for 30 days. For the next 30 days. Now what's so interesting is all of these guys had gathered together against one guy, Daniel. They were thinking, this guy, the king likes him way too much. We see what's coming. He's going to be over all of us. We don't want that. We don't like that. We don't even like that he serves this God of his. We don't want him to rule over us. Let's get the king to make this edict. And so he made it. It couldn't be reversed even by himself. Well, how do you think Daniel responded to the test? Here, here's the interesting thing. I mean, everybody's got to stop praying for the next 30 days except to the emperor. And Daniel's got some options here. Because see what Daniel always did, he would always go and he would kneel down at his house and open his windows toward Jerusalem and pray and ask God for help and for wisdom. And he did that three times a day, the Bible says. Every day, three times a day, he would go and do that. And they knew that. And so now they're waiting by Daniel's window to see what he's going to do. He could have accepted the law and, and kind of fake pray to the emperor for 30 days. You know, you go, oh, that might not be so bad. I mean, you know, it's just for 30 days and God knows my heart, right? Or maybe just stop praying to God for 30 days and not really pray to anybody. Just keep his window shut. No one's really going to know what's going on. Or, or he could keep praying to God the real God, but just do it in secret. I mean, what's wrong with that, right? What did he do? He kept doing what he had always done. Why? I, I, I think it's because he was making a statement, not because he was trying to show out, not because he was trying to be so pious and all this kind of stuff. He was just trying to say, look, I trust God I've got my faith in God alone. And I'm not going to stop just because you make some law. It kind of goes to what happened in the New Testament when the, the, the leaders 
the religious leaders of the day, who were the lawmakers of Israel under Rome, they came and they said to the apostles, you stop talking about the name of Jesus right now. And the apostles said, well, you, I hear what you're saying, but we've got to obey God rather than men. There are times that there are going to be laws that go against the law of God. What are we going to do about that? What about standing publicly for God? That's kind of the, the big question. I mean, are we going to stand publicly for God even when it hurts? It's one thing to stand strong for God at church. It's one thing to hold our hands up during the... There, during you know one of the hymns or the or the or the choruses or the songs and say God I believe in you it's another thing to do it at work isn't it it's another thing to do it at school it's another thing to do it in the neighborhood and a lot of people are kind of secret disciples let's look at what Daniel did so verse 10 now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. See, Daniel wasn't going like, oh, look at me, I'm the great prayer. He's going, God, I need you. And now, God, I need you more than ever. And God, I'm not going to stop opening my window toward Jerusalem and praying to you and believing in you and Trusting, you know, one of the things that I noticed in Morocco about Islam, I mean, they're pretty serious about it. Seven times a day, that call to prayer goes out, and they drop their little mats, or they drop down to the ground, and they begin to pray. Now, unfortunately, a lot of that is so they can earn their way to heaven. They're trying to be good enough. They're trying to, like, hey, God, see me. See me. See how spiritual, see how hard I'm trying. I'm trying to be good talked to our guide that was there and she said you know if your good can outweigh your bad a lot of Americans feel the same way but we as believers we know the, we know the truth we could never be good enough that's why Jesus broke through time and space and we trust him to be good enough we accept what he did on the cross as our substitute we say we want you to be in charge I give you my life you give me your life and he does that and we begin that journey with him not based on our goodness but based on his grace but I still think there's something to be said about that public praying that praying letting people know that we're a follower of Jesus that we're not just a secret disciple that we're we're all we're all in that we mean it that no matter what it costs us we're going to follow him you know I think that some of the reasons why that Daniel was unafraid to stand is because he remembered what God had done in the past. That's one of the things that happened. He remembered that God had been faithful to him in all these other seven tests that he'd been. But also, he had a conversation with God three times a day. I want to ask you, if you talked with God and you stopped and spent time with God three times a day for 82 years do you think that it might change how strong you are in God I, I would think so right so for 82 years he's gotten on his face and say God I need your help and then a little later in the day God I need your help and a little later in the day God I need your he would stop three times a day we're going to talk about next week how we can practice that a little bit for uh, from now until Christmas and I think it's going to change our lives in 
a tremendous way. We're going to work on that as we become together all that God's wanting us to be. We're starting a new series that's called I Am in a couple of weeks. I am blank. I am rescued. I am saved. I am all of these things that God has done for us. But we're going to start stepping into who we are in God. But I want us to start to pray. I want us to start to pray, and maybe we could do it two or three times a day, have these special times that that we stop and we pray. I I have people say to me from time to time, you know, Mark, I feel kind of guilty. I I, I get kind of worried. I know I'm supposed to stand up for God at work, but I've never told anybody at work that I'm a believer, ever, that I'm a Christian, that I love Jesus. I've never invited anybody at work to church. You know, one of the things that made Community of Faith so exciting in those early days when we were in Goodson Middle School in 2003 when we started in that little school and and there was just a few of us and uh, I've told you some of that before, you know, I remember the first, very first Sunday and uh, 180 people showed up, we'd sent out these uh, brochures and we really didn't have a core so I didn't know if anybody would show up or not but we were going to talk about marriage and of course, all of our marriages are, are hurting, so every, people came in, but most people had no church home. And I just started like we had always been a church, and I've told you this several times before. I, I, I just said, welcome to Community of Faith. We're so glad you're here. And, and I, I just woke at, at offering time. I said, we're going to pass the buckets, but if you're not a regular attender or member of Community of Faith, don't feel obligated to give. And nobody did feel obligated at all to give. And, and it was just... Uh, amazing though that, that they were all there but here's what was so exciting they just started inviting their friends they said we've not ever seen anything like this there was one guy I, I love him and, and, and he struggles with his health today he's older and, and, and he's not here all the time anymore Larry Giesland Larry and his wife Verna came that very first week and they had never been really in church much at all before Larry played golf on Sundays with a group of guys but he started telling these guys, he said, you've got to come and experience this. You've you got to come and, and, and see this. There's something crazy. I don't know. I was there and I felt, you know, Larry, did you know that it, it took, I would talk to Larry. I said, you want to step into faith in Christ? You want to step into this journey? And he goes, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. But like Larry had already led like eight of his friends to Christ and he wasn't even a believer yet. He was just like. Y'all come and, and, and they would all step into faith and they, he'd say, I'm not ready yet. I know they did it, but you're the one that invited them, you know. But, but then when he stepped in, it was just, but there were so many people doing that. And it was just, that's why it expanded and grew. And we saw this, when's the last time you invited someone to come just to church? One of the things that I love about community of faith is that you can invite your friends and it's a safe place if you're here today and you know that you're far from God you're in the right place if you're here and you have a million questions that's great you're in the right place it's a safe place to to explore to explore the teachings of Jesus to explore what Christianity is all about and I love that we can do that for your friends I mean most churches you wouldn't invite your friends to that are far from God because you'd think they're gonna think it's weird or something, right? And I, I mean, I've pastored those churches. I remember my first little dysfunctional church out of seminary. And, and it was this old line denominational church. And, 
And, and you know, everybody was a, a little bit off. I'll just be honest with you, okay? And, you know, every, I, I think the average age was like 87 or something, you know, in the church. They would always pin, oh, what a cute little pastor. I was like 29, you know? But I remember the choir behind me, they were terrible. And I was like, I would not invite my friends to, I was the pastor and I didn't want to invite my neighbors, you know. Because the pastor, this one lady that sat right behind me every time, it would always be singing and she'd be going, and you knew who you are, you know. And I would just jump because I had to sit on one of those little throne things up there, you know, in the front, you know. And it was like a little, little seat for pastors. I don't know why pastors do that, you know. But it's like, well, here I am, on my, oh, and she's singing behind me. It was horrible, and, I, and then I would get up, and you know, I'd want to say, I apologize for the choir, here's the, ma-. no, I didn't do that, but the cool thing about community of faith is, like, they could come, I mean, they could have listened, and, and they would go, wow, that's, that's as good as anything on the radio. Now, we know we're not doing it for show, but they would be comfortable with it. You're worshiping, they don't know how to worship yet. They haven't stepped into relationship with God, so you know, let's don't make, you ever cringed for some, you ever gone to a church and you're going like, ooh, they're singing, you know? Doesn't it make you feel uncomfortable? I mean, if I was singing for you, you would feel uncomfortable, you know? And, and, and so that's why I don't do the singing here, you know? But it, it, it's like, I know they're worshiping and I know God loves a, a joyful, cheerful noise and so God's going, hey, that's great, I love it and he probably is. But we're all cringing, you know, so we try to make it so, is is it comfortable? But at the same time, truth is going to be told. We don't lighten up on that. We speak exactly the truth, just like we're talking about. So bring your friends and say, they're hungry for this. They're hungry to know this. Did you know that they did a study that if you ask someone that you're fairly close to, a co-worker, a friend, a neighbor to come, 70% of them will say yes. So you're going, well, what about the 30%? That'd be so embarrassing. That's what I'm asking. Are you willing to stand up for God? Simple as asking someone to come to church. What about baptism? We're baptizing today. You know, have you been baptized? You say, well, I don't really understand why that's that important. I don't know why it's that important except that Jesus said it was. He said, I want you to be baptized I want you to come into this journey with me and be baptized. You read it over and over and over again. And, you know, why did he say that? I don't know for sure, but I know that that's what he asked us to do. I think it's because it's kind of humbling to dip underwater, you know, in front of other people. And it's kind of like, but it's also this, this kind of like a coming out party. I'm a believer. I want you to know. It's no more secrets. They just got baptized. And that was what it was in Jesus' day. And when they got baptized, that's when they were in danger. Not when they said, I follow Jesus, but when they got, because then it was known. And and so that's what he wants us. Today, I'm going to go out and get in the pool today, with you today. And and what you do is, we got some, you can change or you can just go in, what you're wearing right now is fine and we'll go out there and I'll just take you out there and you say, I'm following Jesus. And I say, my brother, my sister, I'm so excited that you're following Jesus. And you're letting everybody know it by being baptized because that's what Jesus asked us to do. Buried with Christ in baptism and we take you under the water. Then we sing about three hymns while you're... No, we don't sing it. We don't do that. 
okay? I always usually take someone under the water and there's always someone that yells, leave him under, he needs it, you know, but I don't do that. Raised to walk in a brand new life. It's the most awesome thing. One of my dear friends who I baptized as he was older, he passed away just recently. He's the one that when I baptized him, we had baptized about 200 people that day. I was getting tired and I'd actually gotten too close to the steps and I took him under and hit his head on the steps, you know, really hard under the water. And when he came up, I was going to apologize and he said, I felt something under there. (laughs) You know, he said there was like a bright light and then, and I was like, man, God works in mysterious ways, doesn't he? It's just like. I don't know that you're going to, I'll try not to do that to you, okay? I don't know that you're going to, you might feel something amazing, but it might just be a simple step of obedience. It's just going, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's what, that's what Daniel did. He's just going, I'm a follower of God. I, I'm not going to stop. I don't care. So here's what happens. Listen, verse 12. So these guys that set this trap, they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? Which was one of their worst punishments. I mean, hungry lions, starving, yuck. You don't want to get thrown in the lion's den. The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel who's one of the exiles from Judah, he's a Jew, we don't like him, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put into writing. He still prays three times a day. Now this is interesting. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He realized immediately what had happened. He realized immediately what was going on. The office politics, you know, or the court politics that were going on. He was determined to rescue Daniel and he made every effort until sundown to save him, trying to figure out how could he start some other decree that would offset that one. What is there from the law? But he couldn't find anything. And then verse 15, then the men again at sundown went as a group to King Darius and said to him, remember your majesty that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. Verse 16, so the king gave the order And they brought Daniel and they threw him into the lion's den. As he's getting ready to be thrown into the lion's den, the king says to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. I mean, he was distraught. He went back. He's upset. He understands he's been tricked. He understands what's happened. I mean, he didn't even watch the World Series. He didn't watch anything on TV. He just, he just stayed up staring at the wall all night. How do I stand for God like Daniel did? I want you to write this down. Pull out your sermon notes. Write these down real quickly. Number one, move against my fear. If you can learn to do this in life, this will change everything for you. Move against my fear. Look what 2 Timothy 1.8 says. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Don't be ashamed of me either, Paul says. Even though I'm in prison for him, with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me. 
for the sake of the good news. Suffer with me. Are you ready to suffer? You say, well, that's not what I thought Christianity was. I thought it was like God's favor and then all these good things and it's really rosy and, and, and all this stuff comes, you know, and money and riches and comfort and the American dream. And, you know, that's an American religion. That's not the gospel, is it? The gospel says be ready to suffer. Suffering's coming for the family of God. Did you know that? I believe that. You just begin to look, look at, the way, at, the, at the way our nation is moving. It's going to be like Europe where they push Christianity to the side, where Christians become like, mm, not sure about those people. Not at all convinced about those people. And you, you begin to look at that. And let me just tell you four things about, real quick about fear. Fear is just a feeling and it cannot last. It's just a feeling. When, when you're depressed, you feel like I want to be depressed for the rest of my life. When you're fearful, I'm going to be afraid for the rest of my life. No, you're not. Emotions by their very nature can't last. Even happiness based on happenstance, happiness can't last. It, 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 it moves. I mean, you're so happy about that new car that you bought yesterday, but next week it's going to be that old car that smells like french fries the kids stuffed under the seat, right? And, and it just can't last. It doesn't. It doesn't last. Another thing about fear. Fear is uncomfortable, but it won't kill me. I don't know. How many of you suffer from panic attacks? I do. I, I do. I mean, I've had a panic attack up here before when I'm speaking. And, and you can usually tell if I, if I start sweating like Jimmy Swaggart or something, you know. I might be having a panic attack. But I, I've learned that you just you fight your way through it. Because it can't last. It doesn't. It, it, it doesn't last. When you're afraid, when you're panicked, you feel like you're going to die. Your heart can, can start beating. You're sweating. You get dizzy. But it can't last. Your adrenaline can't hold on that long, you know. I learned that from my middle daughter who, as a young girl, she started suffering from panic attacks. And, but she taught me, you know, as she learned how to get through it, she learned how to breathe and she learned how to wait. And she learned how it's not the end of the world even though it feels like it's going to be. And, and, and she would do, actually, a lot of times, she would start doing jumping jacks, you know. And sometimes I would hear her in her bedroom in the middle of the night doing jumping jacks. I will go in and she's having a little panic attack, pop, you know. So if I ever start doing jumping jacks up here, you'll know what's going on, right? But here's the thing, you can't really argue your way out of fear. You can't really, there's really... The only way that you overcome fear is to move against it. Every single major decision I've ever made at Community of Faith in these last 15 years, I've been fearful. What if this is a total flop? What if this just messes up everything? What if, what if, what if? But we should base our lives, write this down, on our commitments, not our fears. You see, I'm committed to you and to your growth I'm committed that we'll bring people far from God into God's kingdom I'm committed that all of us somewhere along that spectrum we're going to start maybe far from God but all of us we will become fully devoted followers of Christ full out committed we should base our lives on our commitments not our fears courage is not the absence of fear this is a big truth that we need to know sometimes you look at people and you say Man, I wish I was courageous like them. 
I, I, I wish that I, I didn't have any fear. It, they might be way more fearful than you because courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is feeling the fear and doing it anyway. It's feeling the fear and doing it anyway. If you're not afraid of something, you don't need courage, do you? Why would you need courage? It's not, you're not afraid. You're only courageous when you do the thing you're scared to death to do. Are you a courageous woman? When was the last time you moved against your fear? You did the thing you feared the most. Are you a courageous man? When was the last time you moved against your fear? Some of you, I know I need to reconcile with that person, but I'm just going to, I know I did them wrong. I know that we've got something between us. I know, but I, I would just, I can't, I can't do it. I'm just, I'm just too afraid to do it. I'm just, what are they going to think? I'm an idiot. They're going to yell at me. They're going to scream. They're not going to want to get right. They're going to, it's going to be terrible. I know I, I, I really need to get back out there and put myself back out there in the, you know, in the dating world, but I'm just too, oh, I just, I just gotta just, you know, no, I'm just going to sit home. Gonna sit home and uh, watch The Voice again, and uh, you know, I, I, you see all of these things, all of these things that fear grows when I give into it. It lessens, it dilutes. I know I need to stand up for God. I know there's that person at work, and, and I see them hurting, and I know they're right where I was, and I could tell them about Christ and and, and what you did for me, Jesus. But they might think I'm a fool. Or it might cost me, you know, my job. If the boss hears about it, he's so anti-Christian. I'm for sure going to cost me a promotion. Fear is, it is always worse than the real thing. Most of what we fear never comes upon us. But every time you stand for God, you have victory over fear. And it makes you more confident. Listen to what the early Christians prayed. Now, Lord... Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Do you think they had threats? Let me tell you, when you stood up for God in this day, you could easily be thrown into the Colosseum to the lions, to the gladiators, to whatever there was out there to come, okay, as a spectacle. You could be crucified on a cross along the Appian Way. Nero crucified Christians by the thousands and lit them up as torches and, and, and said they're lighting the way back to Rome. The bodies of the Christians. You see, it was a big deal. But look what they said. Let, God, you, you hear all of that, but enable your servants to speak with boldness. Now, he didn't, they didn't say we won't suffer. They didn't say it won't cost us. Here's another big thing. When you stand for God, I put myself in the place for a miracle to happen. Some of you have never seen a miracle in your life. I've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miracles. Remember in Mexico City, as we were out there as missionaries for God, and, and that gun was pointed right through the windshield, right into my face. And... I thought I was going to die because I thought, well, it's my, we were doing some work for God. We're getting ready to start a, a, a new church the next day. And it was a Wednesday night. And I just remember, you always think that when a gun's pointed at your face, I thought, well, I was going to be something heroic. And I would say, 
I rebuke you in the name of Jesus or something and the gun would melt or something, you know. But I was just, I remember I was just scared to death and I was trying to get down and the seatbelt grabbed and I was going like, these things are lifesavers, you know. And my friend Dennis was driving. I was in the passenger seat. The next thing I thought was, what a stupid robber. Dennis is driving. He should be pointing the gun at him. Why is he pointing it at my head? You know? And, and finally, I just did like this. Dennis, who's driving, he's only got one hand up because he, we called him the wild man missionary. And I thought, what's going on? Well, it was a, it was a stick shift car and he's putting it in reverse. He's gonna, and I thought, we're going to die right now. And so he slams, puts it in reverse, slams on the gas, and I saw that guy's face change that he was pulling the trigger, but nothing happened. I don't know what happened. I can't even tell you what happened. I just remember we did like this James Bond turnaround thing. And Dennis and I, our adrenaline was flowing. We started crying later, but we were laughing because our adrenaline was flowing. And Dennis goes, that would have been so cool if he would have shot you. (laughs) And I was like, what? And he goes, you were like this. He goes, why did you do that? And I said, I don't have any idea. You do stupid stuff, don't you? He goes, yeah, but the bullet could have gone through that hand and then through that hand, then taken off your ear. He said, you could have gone all over the world going, give to missions, like that. (laughs) He was a goofball. And he said, what I was really thinking was, I think I can get out of here. Even if that guy shoots me two or three times, I think I can get out of here. But if he shoots Mark in the head, Laura's going to be real mad. But you know what? I found out there were 300 people in that exact moment praying for us back on a Wednesday night in a church here in the States. And they were praying for our safety. I think the guy probably pulled the trigger. I don't know. And it just, you know, big angel went, I don't think so today, you know. But we saw these miracles and we would see things all the time. Miracle after miracle and God doing these things and, and breaking through. But you have to put yourself out there. For a miracle to happen. You can't sit on your couch and go, God, I'm waiting for a miracle. You know, I really would like God to bring me the most perfect guy. Just like Adam Levine as I watch the voice. (laughs) Adam, Adam, come to me. You know, he's married for one thing. But it's not, it's, it's not, that's not how it works. You can't walk on water if you never get out of the boat. Well, they put Daniel in the pit. Here's what happens. Let me just read it to you. Verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near to the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? He knows the answer. There's no way. But then he hears it. Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions and they've not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. It encourages other believers. Write that down. Other people. Paul said, because I'm in prison, most of the believers have become more bold. And they're not afraid to speak God's word. And then it also does something else. It demonstrates God's power to those who don't believe. The king, the king became a believer. He became a believer. It's it's an amazing thing. Let me just finish it. Verse 24. At the king's... 
command. The men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues. He saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lion. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus. Persian and 18 generations later look what the Bible says look up on the screen what the Bible says happens with the wise men after Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea during the time of King Herod Magi from the east came to Jerusalem where from the east from Babylon from the Medes and the Persians, from Persia. Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. How did they know this? Because of Daniel. This is not just for you. It's for your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. 18 generations later, Daniel has influenced them. And then lastly, I will be rewarded by God himself. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 11 and 12. God will bless you when people insult you, mistreat you, tell all kinds of evil lies about you because of me. Be happy and excited. You will have a great reward in heaven. People did these things, these same things to the prophets who lived long ago. Amazing. Let me tell you something. If you're going to do anything for God, you're going to get criticized. I was talking to Marco Monroy, we all love him, down in Cancun. He goes, things are going amazing. We've been on the radio and we've been doing this marriage thing and it's going good. But we started having some people that are speaking against us and saying bad things about us. And I said, well, I actually had my first um, whole big podcast that was like the anti-Mark Shook podcast, you know, recently. And that was a new one for me. I didn't listen to it. Maybe you did, but don't tell me about it if you did. But you know what I was thinking? That's what God just said. If you stand full out for me, there's going to be opposition. If you want to stand on my word and, my, and you care about what I care about, there's going to be opposition. That's okay. Because great is your reward. Okay, I have two things to ask of you this week. Just two. This is it. Who are you going to tell about community of faith? Who are you going to invite to community of faith this next week? Next week is going to be a great time to invite people. Even if they're far from God, I'm going to talk about praying and what God can do. And it's going to impact them. It's going to impact you, okay? I promise I'm going to be thinking about the person that you're inviting. 70% of them will say yes. If they say no, that's you did what you're supposed to do. That's all you... God's not asking you to do... But who have you not invited? Who do you need to invite? A neighbor? You can say, hey, we can go to lunch after. We can watch the game after. Whatever's going on, you know. You can do it. You can do this. And it'll change you. 